Sorry. Why? Go ahead. I want to say almost like, hey, cats and kittens. Whatever you need to do. All right. Hey, welcome to Leadosophy. You're here with an open mind because that's the rule. And not the exception. Today is the hundredth episode of Leadosophy, and I am going to steal the microphone a little bit from Tim because he's obviously had it for a hundred episodes. Um, I actually asked if I could do this. I asked if I could uh, interview him a little bit. Um, this setup has been a little bit challenging. Uh, I'm in my low right and pink seat, so uh, he's he's joining me on the... Uh... I'm almost sitting on the floor. feels like I'm sitting on the floor. <laughs> and... What this... I wouldn't do for you. For me, this is for Leadosophy. Leadosophy. What I wouldn't do for you and Leadosophy. So uh, my goal today is to try to give you some insights into uh, a little bit of what I see on the day-to-day from Tim as he's gone through this journey. So I hope you're excited for it and uh, away we go. Here we go. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution, you are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of Leadosophy, Tim Wood. All right, so let's kick this off a little bit. So it's already been pretty fascinating. We're on your 100th episode. I'm watching you set up. I'm watching you use the, the soundboard you have. Um, we, we had to bust out this whole... Uh, Pelican case. You got the fan on? Oh, I do have the fan. It's so hot in here. So he did tell me. So that's that's part of it, though. You know, we moved across the country this summer. uh, New space, new new office. We're on the third floor of a uh, pretty classic um, DC row home. And uh, part of that is heat rises. Um, It's, It's spicy up here in the summertime. It's spicy up here right now, so uh, even if you have the AC on in the summertime in our in our roll home, the third story is unbearably hot. Yeah, so you had said something about it, but I, until about this moment, I didn't realize how how warm it had gotten. But so in a new space again, the last time I sat for your podcast was I think about a year ago or a little less, and and we were on the kitchen table in Long Beach, Washington, and I I think that was in your earlier episodes and. And you were kind enough to invite me on, but, but really why I asked to come on is to kind of like ask you some questions and kind of put you in the hot seat a little bit on uh, some of your leadership theories and things like that that you've shared with us over the years. So it should be exciting. I'm excited to uh, tell you how much I have not learned. Now, actually, I've learned a lot from, I've learned mostly from just some of the guests I've had. I haven't had too many guests. I think out of a hundred episodes, I've probably had maybe eight to 10 guests on. And I want to do that more. Uh, I should do that more because it's, I was even writing about it earlier as I was kind of thinking about moving forward, what I want to do with Leadosophy, what, what I want to talk about. You can do all the reading about leadership you want. You can watch all the videos. But for me, it's talking to other people and hearing their con- conceptual framework of leadership. That's how you add to your knowledge base or your concepts of leadership. I, I am the more I talk about leadership, the more I hear other people talk about it, the more I realize that you could just go down a rabbit hole of leadership to infinity. 
So who would be your like dream guest? Who would be like, if you could have anybody on here that you would want anybody. And I mean, like no option, like anybody you just call up and they're here tomorrow. Who's that person going to be? Oh, you kind of put me on the spot. I haven't had any opportunity to, um, dream guest. I, I don't know. I, and it can be living or dead, living or dead. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really tough. I, I, I tend to want to go back to, to philosophy, right? So uh, crazy enough, this is a leadership, well, it's leadership in a philosophy podcast for me, but there's a lot of philosophers out there that I would love to have a conversation about leadership because again, to me, leadership is a lot of philosophy. It's a lot of philosophical thinking. And there's a lot of philosophers that I would like to talk about leadership, maybe get them out of their comfort zone and say, hey, you know, what does leadership mean to you as a philosopher? And maybe that would help me, you know, kind of, I guess, bolster my arsenal of a fusion of philosophy and leadership. But to pin down one philosopher, I, I don't know if I could do that. I would love to, to talk to Aristotle. Aristotle, you want to Bill and Ted it back to Aristotle? Uh, yeah, I could totally uh, Bill and Ted it back to Aristotle. And that's maybe cliche. Is that Aristotle? Oh, oh, wrong way. That is Aristotle. The right bus, there. Aristotle bus. And that might be a little cliche yeah. and probably like an easy picking. And someone they say, oh, really, Aristotle? Like, But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I look at the works of Aristotle and what he wrote. And I just, I mean, just to be able to put thousands of pages of volumes of like on metaphysics and all this stuff, like virtue ethics. Like, I love virtue ethics. Uh, going through my grad school program in Gonzaga, a big part of our leadership program was, well, I guess not a big part of it, but definitely a couple classes, virtue ethics came into the picture and it's still a prominent leadership theory. And that's, that's Aristotle. Aristotle was, was the pioneer of, of virtue ethics. One of the pioneers of virtue ethics from the, from the ancient Greek days. So it's interesting that of course, not interesting because obviously leadosophy, the fusion of leadership and philosophy, right? The name itself says it. Um, but you went to philosophy and you've taken a lot of heat over the years. Um, just a little recap. Uh, when we left uh, New Haven, Connecticut seven years ago, am I right on that? Um, you know, there were some some life choices had to be made. Um, it was I, I got a job in South Florida and, and uh, Tim was going to be up in Connecticut and he decided to uh, step aside from his career and move down to Florida. And, you know, then. What do, what do I do? What do I do? You ended up going to... What do I do with my hands? You, you ended up them. going to uh, Florida Atlantic University. Shall we? Do we dare? Shout out Florida Atlantic. Owls up. Owls up. Owls up. Owls up. Um, so, great school, by the way. Boca Raton, Florida. Really beautiful place. Yeah, and he was the... So he was only 38, but he was the 40-year-old freshman to everyone on campus. And you had the big old freedom beard going. I, I don't know if you can like chop in a picture of you with your big old freedom beard. Yeah, and if you're listening, you just have to visualize the big beard. It was probably a solid six, eight inches long. Yeah, it was. It was my first one, and I've grown it out since four to five times. Since You've then. gone through like four or five freedom beards, and then a lot of renditions. The millennial mullet. I, I don't really know where we're going with the current construct right now. I think you're just letting it fly, right? Nobody knows. Getting that McConaughey sway. Yeah, nobody knows where my hair is going. Yeah, it's like Phil Mickelson meets Matthew McConaughey meets you know the wind. You're very kind. <laughs> Maybe potentially biased. Yeah. That's all right. But back to topic. So you've taken a lot of heat on um, getting a degree in philosophy. 
Uh, you know, it, it's funny, everybody kind of family, friends, strangers. Uh, first question that everybody's like, oh, what are you studying? Second question, what are you going to do with that? Um, what am I going to do with a philosophy degree? Right. Yeah. And what I find fascinating is, so I just recently started a strategy and war course at the Naval War College. Um, something to do on my off time, read hundreds and hundreds of pages about you know, most recently the Peloponnesian War. And what I have found most striking about it all is it's very heavily philosophical, um, at least in definitely in the first, you know, from Sun Tzu to Clausewitz to um, Masters of War to, I'm trying to think of all the books that, you know, we've been trying Plutarch. To, yep, Plutarch, just finished Plutarch. Um, but it's very, very, very heavily based. Facilities. Yep, Thucydides. Oh, that hurt. Yeah. My brain hurt for like a month after that. Honestly, it, I, I got to give a shout out to uh, the professor because that was some dense, deep reading and, and I had to rely on you. But, you know, they've mentioned Kant. They've mentioned who else? There's been tons. Uh, you talked about utilitarianism, Jeremy Bentham, mm -hmm. uh, John Stuart Mill. Yep, and I just find it interesting that for as you know, potentially useless, useful. You need to adjust that a little bit. Sorry, yeah. I kind of jacked up the uh, stage lighting around yeah, we're, here. We're on the fly here. This yeah. is good. Gotta and it's talking. and it's kind of at night too, so uh, we're working it out. Yeah. Um, That's better. Yeah. Sure. So why, why do you think there is such a stigma against philosophy and, and people find it so useless, but yet it has been so instrumental and useful since, you know, the dawn of time. You want my theory? Yes. Obviously, yeah. Well, because to make money, everyone needs to get a business degree. Everyone needs to own a business, make capital. There's not a lot of the Western way, I think a capitalistic mindset, and I'm not saying this is a good or bad thing, but the capitalistic mindset is making money. Uh, we're very much a, a money driven species. At least on, you know, from a Western society standpoint, there's not, I guess you could make the argument. There's not a lot of money in philosophy. You're not going to make a lot of money as a philosopher. And that's just statistically proven. If you're into philosophy or if you go take the take a 18 or 19 year old student that, wants to get an undergraduate degree in philosophy, I mean, try to convince that student that they have a bunch of roads they can take after afterwards. And there are a lot of success stories of, of, of teenagers, people in their young 20s doing philosophy degrees and being, being successful in the business world. I mean, that's a real thing. And something I've noticed too is that, uh, you know, classically trained students are still, you know, our, our nieces are learning philosophy. You can have actually a he can have a more intelligent conversation with, you know, our 16-year-old niece, Nora, than he can with me on philosophy, to be honest. And that's just kind of how she she learned and, and was, you know, went to school. And that was something that they focused on there. And Which is honestly, it's a, the way it was 2,000 years ago. It was a very well-rounded, a lot of philosophers 2,000 years ago were, and not just Western philosophy, Eastern philosophy as well. They were well-rounded in, in the sciences, mathematics, had a very well-rounded education, which I'm not saying that doesn't happen nowadays, but it seems like you're very much starting to get stovepiped in certain directions, you know? 
So then back to uh, back to my point, though, that as I'm learning about extremely successful, you know, people and their histories and their careers and and things of that nature, you know, it, it seems that philosophy plays a part in almost all of those people. And so it, it just I'm trying to reconcile why it seems so negatively like so frowned upon. I don't know. I think there's all kinds of stigmas, stigmas with philosophy. One is like maybe philosophers are too pretentious. They think they're smarter than everybody. I mean, there's a bunch of stereotypes. There's always stereotypes about every group of people, you know, whatever it is, different subjects. And again, there's, there's just a lot of stereotypes out there about philosophers. And, and I, again, we could probably go into a bunch of them, but yeah, and so not to just like go down that road, but to go down the road of, and I, I don't, you know, I, I'm trying to recall if you talked about it on your previous podcast, but you chose philosophy, and I remember this because I remember the day that you did, you chose to get a degree in philosophy because it was, you wanted to learn how to think for yourself. That's correct. So. I valued the thinking process. I started in my last few years in the military, I started really the more I read, I started getting into some some deeper reading and I started valuing just the process of thought. And I wanted to further that. I wanted to become a better thinker. And whatever it was, just whatever. I, I didn't want to... Um, I, yeah, I just want to be a, a better thinker. That was the goal. So speaking of those last few years in your career, and you've touched on it again a little bit over episodes, but um, if you may or may not remember... In his last few years of his career, Tim was heavily into the risk management, organizational risk management, risk management, and the mishap world. Um, he was working through how to kind of revamp and revise. Mishaps or accidents. Right? Accidents, yeah. yeah. Mishaps or accidents. I mean, mishaps yeah. and mishap. Um, and you were kind of looking and working towards how to, to uh, revise the risk-making process um, from all the way from a teaching standpoint to the actual real-time implementation of risk management in an operational sense, um, from the deliberate to the strategic to the real-time. And so did you think that that led you down this path of independent, not independent thought, but the significance of thought? Yeah, so when I started, when I started getting involved in the risk management program, started teaching it, I found myself... Uh, very drawn to the process of expanding my knowledge on the subject. And it was a, it became, it, it was a two-folded quest. It was a quest to give people the best information they could have, current information, because I knew teaching risk management, teaching leadership was part of that, teaching some leadership in the risk management process. I felt that the better I was, the better better armed I was with with current knowledge and human error, things like that, the more the better prepared I could make people that I was teaching and ultimately hopefully made them safer, made the boat crews out performing the mission safer. And, but a, a byproduct of that was I started becoming just thoroughly immersed in the quest for knowledge. And that quest for knowledge became not only the quest to, to know, but also the quest to think. And yes, it was, and I started getting into some, some, philosophy in, in there reading some philosophers and yes that all kind of merged at the time and then when I got out of the Coast Guard I didn't know that I wanted to study philosophy but when you suggested I go back to school for some reason it was like I want to 
I want to study philosophy. That's what I want to do. And granted, now go back to the stigma of, of philosophy. Like I maybe couldn't have done that when I was 19 years old, you know, because maybe it wouldn't have paid the bills or whatever the, the stereotypes. Your mind was open. When I was older? Yeah. It was older, but I also was retired. I had finished my career. I had you to, help, to kind of to lean on a little bit. So I had that. Uh, I had the, the freedom to, to go back to school for something that I thoroughly thought I would love. And it turned out to be, it's true. I, I loved it. And I think that's, it's one of the most fascinating things about you that, again, people might not know about, or maybe they've discovered it over time, is your, you are, and, and one of my favorite things about you is that this man is not afraid to learn a new skill at all. Um, I mean, I'm sure you have some like stopping points. I know, played pickleball today for the first time ever. Oh, that's right. You did play pickleball today. How'd that go? I got, I won one game out of three with against John, uh, humbled that shout out for John to teaching me a new game. Super fun. I like it cause the court's so small. Yeah, which is ironic because we just came from Washington State, which I believe is like... And Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, where, where pickleball had, was like the thing and we've somehow missed this game. Yeah, so I enjoyed pickleball because the court's really small. Uh, I mean, the wind was blowing like 30 knots. I was going to say, so this was... Uh, was you windy. did pick a pretty challenging weather day. So fall is here. Yeah, fall is here. Fall is here in D.C. In but, D.C. But I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was, it was super. Like, kind of like uh, ping pong on steroids. Yeah, but again, to, to my point is ping pong on steroids. Oh, you... All right, so we're just going to digress a little bit. This is very calm, you know, philosophical man. Apparently, again, when he gets on a basketball court, flag football, dare I say, ultimate frisbee. Um, shout out Patrick Dixon for how many times did you race him? And we're still trying to figure out Twice. what the actual results are. He won the first one. I won the second one. So it's up for debate. So I'm sure Patrick Dixon, if he does listen, will definitely have something to say about that. But this man gets a competitive streak and all of this calm, philosophical, thoughtful, intentional goes out the door. And, uh, you know, I like to compete. He Yes, it's it's I grew up playing sports. Sports was a big part of my life growing up. Yeah, but I mean, foosball is not. Yeah, I mean, I love, love playing foosball, you name it. Ping pong, anything, and and I know anybody that's stationed with you will definitely uh, try. Yeah, if I if I play a sport, if I even if I've never played it before, you're gonna get my best effort. Maybe ugly, but you're gonna get the best effort. So, all that to to come back to the fact that what I was talking about and you learning new skills, right? So, back to the mishap, the last two years of your career. Not only were you learning how to research, understand thought, understand why people make mistakes. Yeah, that was a great one. That's a very good point. I wanted to know the thought, the the theories and the psychological underpinnings of why people made mistakes. Why did human error exist? And And why is it the most prevalent reason that mistakes happen? It's not typically equipment failure. It's not anything other than a large majority of it is human error, judgment, things like that. So as you're going on this quest, the other quest you go on is, okay, now how do I explain this? Right. How do I create these medians to explain it? In comes the rabbit hole of PowerPoint. And I, I, I know this is a weird place to start, but you started off basic PowerPoint, you know, sh- shout out Microsoft. Um, and you seek out all of these different 
creative ways to make your PowerPoints more engaging. Mm. And I just, I'm curious as to what made you do that. Like, you know, you could have just gone the route of everybody else, but you know, you start with just basic PowerPoint, you find presenter media, I think it is. I don't know if we can say that trademark hashtag, whatever. Um, your PowerPoints are now animated. Um, you are presenting, you are obviously a very skilled order and you're a good teacher. So that just like helps out. Um, and then that turns into podcasting, which has evolved to where we're at right now. I mean, I think sometimes I, I don't know, I watch in fascination, um, as you progress through these different levels of your technological experience, like what inspires that? Like if somebody is trying to, they're sitting at home and they're like, Tim doesn't know what he's talking about. I could do a better podcast than this. Like it's not, it's not as simple as, you know, it's, you. well, I mean, so it could be simple. Like I've, I've evolved. So I am, I am, uh, you know me, I've always loved technology. Mm -hmm. So I think I watched my dad build his first computer when I was like, our first computer when you I was like eight years old. So I've and always, now your youngest son is into that as well. Yeah. So I, I've always been in, in kind of the forefront of, of computers from a very early age in, in the eighties. So technology has never scared me and technology nowadays is fascinating. There's so much you can do with it, but starting off pot, like you want to say someone can just do a better podcast than me on leadership and I'm, I'm sure they're out there. There's probably, probably plenty, but anyone can get, a, a basic computer and, and a, a little USB mic and start a podcast. My thing is like, I just tend to go, you know me, I tend to go above and beyond like, yeah. and I can do that. Like we have the opportunities to, to upgrade some equipment and I just enjoy putting out the, the cleanest product I can visually. I'm very visual. I love the visual side going back to creating the PowerPoints and stuff like that. I want people to have a very, very good visual experience. So I have some of this equipment for me to be able to deliver that. I have to have some of this equipment. Which also I have to apologize for. So where he is usually the audiovisual person, I'm usually the, the kind of construction person. So um, I'm sure you guys have noticed. Oh, hang on. It's very unprofessional of me. Oh, Valerie. Our, our homegirl Val up in, uh, or actually down in Florida now. Um, yeah. So I'm usually the person that like fixes stuff and I've let you down a little bit because in between these bookshelves here, uh, there is the leadosophy banner that I have yet to figure out how to hang up in the background for you and give you a proper, proper background for your, but I mean, this is just a portion of his philosophy book. So that's also kind of suiting, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of. They're not all philosophy books. Some of them are yours too, but yeah, there's definitely some philosophy books up there. Yeah. So and like anyone's bookshelf in the background, I've not read every book back there. So you haven't, uh, no, not everyone. What? Just mine. There's a lot of books back there that I've read parts of three quarters of. Yes. Other fascinating thing. He can read multiple books at once. Yeah. Which I, is... I can't read. I'll, very rare that I'll ever read one book all the way through. I think there's something there's something more to that. I'm sure there's a reason or there's some sort of gift that you have. You're able to do that. I can barely read one book at a time. Um, so as he, I think I, I, it's probably a tension deficit thing. I, I, I lose, I got lose interest real quick and go to something else. Well, you get hit on the footnotes and then you see a footnote and then a day later, that footnote 
the book that's referenced in the footnote shows up on our oh, yeah, doorstep. Footnotes are, that's probably why I haven't read every book back there. It's because you get through about seven or eight footnotes. And next thing you have like eight books showing up in the in the mail. This so. is it's a true story. But I do um, like to jump back and forth between books. Yes. I mean, the running joke around the house is, oh, there's another book on the, the doorstep. So I don't think we have to worry about anybody coming off, coming up on the stairs and stealing our packages because they'd probably pick it up and be like, oh, throw it yeah. right back down. Um, but again, we digress. Um, but back to your ability and your desire to learn new skills um, you know, it was pickleball yesterday. Uh, what three weeks ago we went to Zion National Park, and you were rappelling down canyons and you know down climbing and doing all these crazy things. A year ago, or not a year ago, probably around February, uh, we had an opportunity um, to go snowboarding. So you learned how to snowboard. That was my second time snowboarding. Though. Yeah, but. Yeah. So Which was what, far more enjoyable than the first time. This is true. But the first time was only two years prior. So pre-COVID, post-COVID, imagine if there was never any COVID, you would have probably snowboarded a lot more. I would have. I enjoy snowboarding. So. Yeah. It's just, there's this there's this thing that you have where, oh, do we dare talk about the thing you learned how to do in um, in Fossil, Oregon on our very first camping experience? You learned how to camp. We learned how to camp. We that was a team to, effort. That was. That was a big team effort. But, uh. Do we dare learn about the, uh, the the skill you picked up in Fossil, Oregon? What skill was that? Dumping the poop tank? No, that was uh, that too. was camping. But that was camping. The wood the wood experience, the wood chopping experience. Oh, I chopped wood for the first time. Two. Uh, not that I'm super proud to say that as a 44 year old human being. But it wasn't the fact that you were 44 and a dude, so had somehow not done this this stereotypical dude thing. It was the fact that you you owned it and you were just like, yeah, you got to tell me how to do it. And I'll be honest, our friend Tim gave you a little look of, you know, a little look of disgust that you didn't know how to chop wood. But it was that like just that that lack of self-consciousness that some people have about being able to admit what they do and don't know. It's just something that you've been very good at. Where do you think you learned to, to not be, is it, is it embarrassed at something you, I don't, I'm trying to you see what I'm getting at. Like, where do so you, there's a you, term you're looking for. It's called epistemic humility. Okay. Right. Epi, 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 epistemology is a theory of knowledge, right? Epistemic humility is, I think, admitting your lack of knowledge and what you're talking about in certain subjects or areas. Right. So where did that come from? I don't know. I was a very shy kid growing up. Um, I, never pretended i don't feel like i ever really pretended like i knew more than than i did and i was always you know i think there's a quote i think it was i may be misquoting abraham lincoln but i don't think it was abraham lincoln someone said the quote it's better to be thought a fool and keep your mouth shut than open your mouth and remove all doubt yeah right so i've always kind of that's i guess not one of my main mantras but that's something i always keep in the back of my mind i i tend not to jump into a conversation if, if my knowledge of, of the area in question is not very strong, it's just why, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll turn around and go find a, go find a book and read up on it or learn more about it. And I don't know, I just like to be uh, educated on things I talk about. And it's easy. I think it's easy for any of us. And I've done it before too. I'm not saying that I'm, I always do that, but it's easy for any of us to just throw our opinions out haphazardly. I think that's, 
a lot of the problems with a lot of different areas, especially in the political environment that's so charged. It's people throw their opinions out there and a lot of, I'd say, honestly, a lot more than not, people don't know what they're talking about, you know, and there's so many different sides of, of every story. There's everyone. I always talk about the shared reality that, or the not shared reality that people really don't look for, but we all have our own view of reality, you know, and it's always skewed. And don't you think that that is one of the biggest proponents and one of the biggest challenges of being a successful leader is that you can't possibly have everyone's to a, get to a shared reality amongst a group of individuals. I, I mean, does that? Yeah, I think there's a difference between in, in the maybe say the work environment vice just everyday conversations that are going on the the milieu that's going on in, in whatever it's national politics or local politics in the work environment yes you have to try to develop some common operating picture right with the term we use in the, in the in the coast guard you have to try to develop some sort of common operating picture which is honestly just another phrase for shared reality it's what that is mm-hmm. right so uh, and there's a point where you can do that to a fault where you can become paralyzed. And at some point, like, you know, you have to, okay, we, this is the decision we, we have, have to, to make. make a decision. Right. And that's yeah. the leader's job has to determine, okay, because you can always try to seek new information, right? There'd always be more information that'll come in. Like you'll never, you could always go down the rabbit hole and you'll never have enough information. At some point you got to just make a decision. I think that's part of, of leadership. You have to determine when that shared reality is close enough. Like it'll never be completely closed that reality gap but at some point it's got to be closed enough where you can move forward as a team and you'll never know everything you never know everything that's that's a fact and you, there's always going to be unintended consequences that Second, you just didn't see effects. Yeah. yeah you just didn't see so then going back to uh what did you call it epistemology epistemic humility yes epistemic humility i rely on him to articulate all of my thoughts for me I think that's something that's worked out really well for me being married to a philosopher. Well, I mean, it's just humility in general. I think it's, we've talked about humility and leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, you've talked about it. Sometimes it frustrates you. Uh, you know, you feel like you're always in this place of having to be humble. And, you know, it's just apart from me, uh, I think I said on my last podcast or the podcast before, when in doubt, default to humility. Like it can't, it's probably not going to steer you wrong to take a step back or, and that's not saying like, you can't be confident. I think you can be confident and humble together. I think that's, I don't think those are like either or qualities for characteristics for a leader. So you just finished this three part series on self doubt. And and I felt like while listening to that, this was something that um, I have seen you go through and personally struggle with um, as far as your podcast, as far as what, you know, should you, you know, I've, I've heard you say, what right do I have to be talking about leadership and, and all of these things, but is that not just a little self-check? Is that not just a little um, humility? And can that humility run wild? Because I know it can with me. You know, I've I've sat on some panels and I've been asked, like, what do, what do I think, you know, is something I need to work on? And, and you've seen it. I can send myself down a self-doubt spiral if I allow yeah. it. Um, it's better than the opposite going complete egomaniac and again i've seen many of followers wrecked by large egos so i'd rather see well again i'd re- i wouldn't I mean, rather have you see seen of- somebody be wrecked by the opposite what's the opposite of a large ego um i've seen people be wrecked by absolute lack of self-confidence too. Well, yeah and it's those those are the people i think who are just almost paranoid to make a decision 
right? For whatever reason they might be, they're, they're afraid External, to... External, internal. Yeah, and a lot of times they might be afraid to make a decision because the fear of making the wrong decision. And I mean, that's honestly, that's not going to, you're not going to survive very long in a leadership role if you're paralyzed to make a decision. And ch- there's a good chance you probably were, weren't placed in a role, a leadership role, if that's how you were. I mean, hopefully the the evaluating talent processes work well enough that if you're in a leadership role, chances are you're probably fairly adept at making decisions and you're going to make bad decisions. We all know that. But yeah, the self-doubt thing is I've done it before and I agree. I've done this with podcasting early in the podcast. I mean, there were many months, maybe years before I even started the podcast where I didn't do it because of self-doubt. And again, you remember the first episode I did with, with Darren He's the one that kind of... Yes, I was going to... That's actually one of the yeah, things I was going to Darren's the about. one that, that kind of kicked me off the cliff or pushed me in the deep end, you know? And I was like, yeah, okay, why not? Just why not me? Why not my podcast on leadership? Like, again, I said this in the beginning of this episode, we all have a very unique concept of leadership. My concept of leadership, no one else can have because no one has ever walked in my shoes as a leader. And if it's a follower, same for you. You have your own unique concept and when you and I talk about leadership, we start synthesizing our concepts of leadership. And when we start synthesizing our concepts of leadership, you and I develop this brand new concept of leadership, which is like we've never had before. Like right now, we're now developing a brand new concept, concept of, of leadership. Yeah, which is, that's that's awesome. That's the dialogic process. I mean, we should be honest. Sometimes we argue about leadership. Yeah. and It's, that's, a, it's a polite thing to say, synthesizing, which actually you might need to adjust your mic. I don't think anybody can see your face. Yeah. Is that better? I think so. If you're listening, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, you know, we all have our own concepts of, of leadership. And again, why I continue to podcast now is because I have my own concept of leadership and I like to talk about it. And again, there's some things that I say that maybe people don't agree with. That's awesome. If that, to me, if I say something about leadership and that doesn't fit your mental model or your conceptual framework of leadership, that causes you to a maybe reinforce some thoughts you have or b go do your own reflection self reflection and kind of just revise your concept of leadership and that's what we're doing that's what leadosophy is about critical thinking critical thought exactly so you know you were you were talking about that synthesizing and i was thinking i was trying to think of an example where we didn't necessarily agree or you know i, I listened to his podcast and and while I'm your number one biggest fan, and I had this whole dream of like having this big foam number one thing to be like number one biggest fan, and then I was going to have this whole like hundredth episode thing, but then life happens, and yeah, you know what we were supposed to be doing this morning. Maybe I can put some CGI graphics in here. Yeah, maybe. Uh-huh. Well, this morning we were. I planned on doing this hours ago, but then life, the day, and here we are at night. So, um, where was I going with that? See, I this is know. why I don't do this. this we're talking about this. synthesizing. Oh, synthesizing. So I'll tell you, I, I was thinking and I thought of an example. You did a you did a good series on a Navy article that I had heard about from some friends. Um, and then I had asked Navy you culture, re- Navy, Navy culture, culture. Yeah. risk averse culture. And I kind of got frustrated with you because it was back to that. Sometimes you have to make a decision to which you reminded me, well, you don't have to make a decision. You're just there to look at the details and discuss all the possibilities Whereas me, still kind of in a leadership type theory role, you know, not so much a leader in my current position, kind of not, whatever. Um, You know, I got frustrated because I was like, so what would you do? 
you know, it, it, I got, I get frustrated with you because you don't have to make those, you don't have to actually decide on the information that's presented in front of you. Um, but that's a good thing, you know, and, and you were really good about kind of coming back at me and saying, well, I don't need to make a decision on how to act. I just, I can have a discussion on all the possibilities. Is, is that an accurate? Yeah. I mean, it's again, I'm, I'm, I'm a complete armchair quarterback now. You know, I did the podcast, uh, I think five episodes ago about nature suite, right. Mm-hmm. In the, in the tomatoes. And that was another example of, I could look at an organization kind of take some fragments of, of things that I've read about them, YouTube videos I've watched about the company and start to form some quasi view of their, their leadership culture and just their culture in general, the business, but I have no skin in the game. I don't have to worry about, you know what I mean? My, I had no skin in the game about their culture. I could just kind of armchair quarterback my thoughts, both theory and then obviously drawn on some of my own practical experiences, leadership, but yeah, I don't have to make a whole lot of leadership decisions right now. And quite frankly, I'm okay with that. Like, I think, uh, I think everybody dies to be in that position as well. Sometimes it is. Yeah. It's like, you know, somebody on Facebook posted yesterday, they are brand new to, to a management role. And I belong to like three or four leadership groups on, on Facebook. And someone posted that they're, they were just appointed to assistant general manager of their small, small business. And they were the first thing they were like, what books should I read? And what videos should I watch? And my response was don't read any books right now. Don't watch any videos. It's like, Write down, like, why do you want to be a, an assistant general manager? Why did you aspire? Because she, she was like, I always wanted to be a general manager. And I'm like, but why? What's the why behind you? Why do you want that responsibility? Right? And that's time for you to start unpacking, like, is it an ego thing? Like, do you need that, like, to fulfill you somehow, to have that responsibility? Because quite frankly, leadership is like, it's a lot of responsibility. I mean, you have like, people's lives you're responsible for. You know, their well-being, they're coming to work. It's like, well, we separate work life and home life. I'm like, I hate to break it to you. It's sometimes it's really hard to to, blunt, to to make that line like completely, you know what I mean? Like it's not always one or the other, right? Sometimes your work life will blend into your home life and you can't help it. Well, I mean, but people face mass, massive criticism for that. Um, I hate to tell you how deep in the football streets I am, but right now, I mean, thanks for fixing my lighting, by the way. You're welcome. I was, I felt a little bit bad. I'm trying to be a good host. I am trying to look like an Oompa Loompa. I think up until you just fix that. lighting. (laughs) Well, I did it. I thought I did a good job, job. but I, we're just on the fly here. Like no big deal. But, uh, so I was going to say, I mean, in the football world, Patrick Mahomes is under fire. You know, everybody's making all sorts of suppositions as, as good, good news and good media and good TV does about his home life potentially interfering with his work life and et cetera. And I just, you know, I just, I agree with you that there should be a line, um, maybe just in professionalism. Yeah. Um, however, there just is no absolute, it's more of a dashed line. Yeah. It's like through either way. You know, I'm a firm believer that as a leader, you're not responsible for, for everyone's happiness around you. Like the, from the followers, like you can never make everyone happy, but you have to pay attention to the well-being of those around you. You should want people to have a good experience, good, like work experiences when they're within your purview, within your sphere of influence. Right. I think that's a, like, 
I want people, I mean, I do want people to be happy because I think if they're happier at work, they might be more productive. I don't know what the science says behind that between happiness and productivity, but I think that's a big part of it. And if people are not happy at work where you spend one third of your life, like let's just do the math, eight hours a day, five days a week, like you can't tell me that doesn't blend over into the home life. That's just, that's unreal. I mean, unless maybe some people are very good psychologically at drawing that line. But I mean, most of us are fairly human and, you know, sometimes psychologically weak in some areas. And again, I think leadership is, is about being very conscious of people's happiness and morale and well-being and all that stuff. So, so with that being said, you know, you, you're on your 100th episode. Um, you've increased your means. You know, you've increased your abilities. Uh, we haven't even talked about, so this like board thing is awesome, but we haven't talked about the sound effects and I didn't mean to make such a hard transition, but there you go. Is that the only one? There's more. No, nah, there's more. What do we got here? Hello, That's Halloween. creepy. Why, why, why would you? All right. So also things we, speaking of home life, do and don't agree on. Hate horror films. Hate them. Loves horror films. I love horror films. Loves them. Um, I don't know what we're going to use the creepy doll voice for in this, but maybe not. But, um, oh, shoot. Getting back to to the point, our, I just totally lost my train of thought on creepy doll voice. Yeah, that, that was good. Was it? Yeah. Is it because it's getting, like, really hot in here, too? That might be. It's, it's warm in here. It's picked up a few degrees. <laughs> yeah, do we need to turn the fan back on? Did I'm we good. Did we talk about this heat issue? Or did that I'm get good. cut out because we were trying to set up? We already talked about the heat issue. <sighs> Man, it's spicy. Spicy. What else do no, talk so about? So we're on the 100th episode. 100th so what episode. do you think has been the biggest change from episode one to episode 100? Where do you think you're at? Where do you think Leadosophy's at? You like to anthropomorphize Leadosophy. That's a big word. You should explain what the anthropomorphize means. Because I didn't know what it was um, until not long ago. I'm going to mess it up and somebody's going to Google fact challenge me, but it's essentially giving a human characteristics to inanimate things. Yeah. That's a good explanation. I think yes. that's fair. So it's like, I call my chair. If I treat my chair like a human and I give it a personality, um, anthropomorphized your chair. I did. So yeah. you've kind of begun. I do know this, that you've kind of, so one of the biggest things that I've noticed that you've kind of done, or you have done, is you've made leadosophy a person. You you've almost given some sort of, I mean, short of a background. Oh, the fan. It's hot. <laughs> um, you've given uh, leadosophy. You've made it a, a person, almost like a. You talk about it in third person sometimes, as if it's an external part of yourself, or maybe it existed before you or after you, or so. That's the biggest change I've seen over a hundred episodes. What it? What do you? What say you? About what? What's the biggest change from episode one to hundred? How have you grown over the last hundred episodes? Well, I think number one, I've grown as just a a podcasting person. I think I have challenged myself to get in front of the camera, and I think I've done that uh, honestly for for a while now. I've been pretty transparent in my thought process and how I view leadership and, and 
you know, I don't think I've left much on the table. I've sometimes it's sometimes it's hard to to come up with. For me, it's definitely a lot easier to talk to people about leadership than to just kind of sit there by yourself and, and talk about your own thoughts, which again, that's how I started it. Kind of talk about my own thoughts of leadership. So I think I've gotten better in just kind of putting my thoughts down, kind of, I guess, unpacking my own thoughts on leadership. I always said in the beginning, one of the goals for leadosophy was to almost field strip leadership, like a, like a weapon, like a gun and try to figure out what the most essential components of leadership, like if you strip leadership down to its bare components, like what are the most essential things about leadership? And I guess one thing I've grown is that I've realized that I don't think it's possible. I don't think you can do it. You don't think you can actually strip it down to? No, I don't think you can. I, I use the, here's the analogy I use for that. I feel like, I feel like leadership is like sand, right? And if you have, if you have a thing, a, a mound of sand in your hand and you look at it, right? It's a, solid mass when you start to leadership is like when you start to try to like look at the individual grains of sand and you pull your fingers apart all that sand just starts to filter away through your fingers and you're left with nothing and that's then how add i feel into it throw water on it yeah. throw life at it and yeah that's how i feel about leadership leadership is a pile of sand that when you really get tried to close to start looking at it and moving around it just falls through your fingers and there's nothing left and again i just I come back to this. If you ask a hundred people what their idea of leadership is, you're going to get a hundred different answers. And that's just the way it is. And maybe that's okay. Maybe that's why leadership has been going on long before there were books. There were podcasts. Uh, long before we commercialized the hell out of leadership, making well, money off of it. Well, do you think though that organizations, so for example, the military, I, what I, I hope I don't get this wrong, but we have 28 leadership competencies in the Coast Guard. I mean, do you think that that's us trying to see that one little grain of sand or we're saying these 28 grains of sand, we're trying to put that elusive definition on what makes or breaks. You're, tr you're trying to box leadership into something because that's the human mind works. That's how it works. We want to understand things. We want to be able to break it down into concepts into things that we can understand and we can talk about and we can use. You know, it's again, I don't, I don't know who said this, but it's like, there's no point of, of accruing new knowledge if you don't use it, if you don't put it to practical use, right? So from a leadership perspective, what's the point of trying to pursue leadership knowledge if you're not going to try to put that leadership knowledge into some sort of practical use? So again, I'm not saying you throw leadership out with, with the bathwater, right? I, I don't think that you should stop all leadership programs and training programs or whatever, but there is, there you can't, I think it's very naive for someone to think they can pin leadership down into to one or two things like leadership is this or leadership is that like, again, if you told a hundred people to say, what is leadership? They would all have a different leadership is this. Right. And that's yeah. just, again, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And again, it's very, I am the, I will say above anything else, leadership is contextual and is situational. And for every situation, for every context that you've had in the past, it'll never look the same in the future. And leadership's going to look a little different every single time. So would you say then that that's become, so as I were, based on what you just said, as you evolved over those hundred episodes, you know, first you started out 
talking about your experiences, processing your 20 years, what you learned and in your undergraduate degree in philosophy, what you expanded upon in your graduate degree from um, Gonzaga in organizational leadership. Gonzaga was awesome, by the way, that organizational leadership program. Yeah, I think you, I hope you've talked about that more than I can remember. I was going to say, I don't, yeah, I think think Gonzaga needs its own episode because I haven't really talked about it. Yeah, about Um, your experiences and I haven't talked about it a whole lot. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Other than the fact that it was a very self reflective program, which I liked about it. And so I feel like you did, uh, that's how you evolved. You started off, Leadosophy was, you know, a lot of you processing all this new information, layering it on top of your 20 year military career, and then layering that on top of just you you as a person and who you are and then that's when in my opinion you start to see leadosophy develop into its own personality and its own person and you know here we are now where now you're you know created um this this new thing external to you what started out internal has now become external does that make sense is that a accurate assessment so internal to external leadosophy, I, I basically, as I've said before, I, I started this journey on leadosophy and the podcast was a way to make my private thoughts about leadership and philosophy public. And I think I've done that over a hundred episodes. Leadosophy has evolved for me internally, and you've seen it evolve, you know, kind of externally through the podcast. I think I've done a fairly good job of, of unpacking my own thoughts on the podcast and I'm, I'm happy with that. You know, how long am I going to continue to podcast on leadosophy? I don't know. I may, you know, maybe leadosophy, leadosophy will go a thousand episodes. Maybe I'll quit next year. Who knows? Well, wait, I'm the host. You stole my next question. Oh, so we got to back that up. Okay. How long do you think you'll No, That wasn't going to be my next question. My next question. No, was that's, but that's, uh, that's something I should think about. Like where, where do I want it to go? I mean, do I have a goal? I don't really I don't know. I just want to continue to to think about leadership publicly and, and, you know, in the future, talk to more people about it and just evolve my concept, refine my concept of leadership. And if I can help other people along the way or inspire other people, because that was a big part for me of leadosophy as I kept going. It's like, you know, leadosophy isn't necessarily about teaching other people how to lead. I, I never said that going into this, that I wanted to teach other people how to lead. That was never That's a true. goal of this podcast. Right, because everyone's got to find their own path. They got to walk their own path, which it, is what one of the things we do agree on pretty heavily, and why I fully, su- I mean, I support it. Um, we're not necessarily big fans of leadership books per se, um, prescriptive leadership theories. Yeah, you ought to lead this way, or you should lead this way. Or it's, this, it's I mean, just, I think that goes because we both kind of believe in the contextual, situational. Everyone's got their own leadership style. And nobody's getting the same grain of sand. That's right. And I think, I think there's objectively some leadership styles out there that just fundamentally don't work. Mm -hmm. Right. But even some of those truly bad leaders, quote unquote, bad leaders that you've seen, they're effective for somebody. Somebody gravitates towards that person. Right. Like you talk about some, maybe the worst leader you've ever had. Right. Well, the worst leader you've ever had that's probably the best leader that someone else has ever had. Exactly. I mean, I actually had that. You know, I've had that in my career. And but, anyways, exactly. Yeah. That's like again, I wasn't gonna... yeah, again, very. It's very subjective at times about Absolutely. who's a good leader. Somebody I thought was just somebody I thought was particularly not that great of a leader in my for me, 
I mean, I was definitely in the minority there. Yeah. Uh, definitely effective for, for the for collective. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so no, yes, totally Leadosophy was not ever meant to be a prescriptive leadership show. And there are plenty, there's those podcasts are out there. If you want to go mm-hmm. find them, like there are podcasts out there, they will tell you what you need to do to be a better leader. And there'll be some, I'm not saying I haven't had episodes where I say, Hey, I think this works. Like it's worked for me. It may sure. work for you, but it's just tools like tools in the toolbox. But, um, leadosophy was about inspiring other people to explore their thoughts on leadership deeper. Right. That for me is how leadosophy has evolved externally for me is hopefully, cause I've had not many, but I've had people reach out to me and say they like listening to leadosophy because it does get them to think more. Right. And I don't want them to think more about what I think about leadership. I want them to think more about how they conceptualize leadership. So in in a sense, if you were doing a means to ends, that's your ends, is getting people to think. Yeah, and specifically, narrowly, more about leadership and their concept, evolving their own concept of leadership for, for them to, you know, because everyone wants to, I'm assuming everyone wants to, you have this reality where you are as a leader, and you have this aspiration of where you want to go as a leader, right? Hopefully... Growth mindset. I talked to this, talked about this in one of the self self doubt episodes. Hopefully, if you're in a leadership role, you have a growth mindset where you want to be better, become a better leader. Right? Everyone takes those that journey and takes those steps in a different way. Right? So, leadosophy is really about it's self exploration. It's it's a it's a cognitive mining expedition. That's what I call it. It's like digging deep in your own psyche and figuring out what you need to do to better understand yourself. So you can help others. Which is back to my other point that I made earlier, how you can articulate. That's what I love and I've found fascinating about leadosophy is how well you articulate what the, what myself personally, just speaking for myself, um, struggle to put put to words. So like that cognitive mining, um, you know, just struggling to put to words why this situation is so challenging or, you know, what has become of it. I think I told you once, I can tell you where we were. Um, we were by Spire McGowan, a church in, on the Washington side of the Columbia River. And you you basically put into words exactly what my problem was that I was having at the time. And I think that you did that and you did that well because of the work you've put in in philosophy and org leadership and and just really trying to get to, you know, the why well, nice. yeah, and again, philosophy. Uh, philosophy is very difficult for me in the beginning of my Florida Atlantic career. Um, and you're probably experiencing some of this with some of the books you're reading, like a very heavy philosophical stuff. Like dense reading is like, if you, it's, it's really a, a practice. You have to deliberately practice reading very dense philosophical material because it's a lot. Like our minds are just lazy. They want to, you know, pick the path of least resistance. And granted, there's some things that can probably be said way, you know this, there's some things that can probably be said in way less words. Uh, some philosophers are very wordy. And I, love, I tend I to do that. I love brevity. Yeah. Brevity. There's a definitely a, a, you know, a means or a reason why brevity works, right? Because if we can only handle so many things. But uh, philosophy was very difficult. The, the books and the texts that I was reading in my early in my philosophy career were very difficult. But I took that as a challenge. My first semester at Florida Atlantic, I 
was getting very irritated and I was in the dictionary more than I was actually reading the textbooks because mm-hmm. I had That's all true. these, I all these new philosophical terms that I'd never heard of, right? All these things like whatever it was. And, you know, I couldn't get through a paragraph without having to look up three or four words. But don't you think that's a little bit metaphorical to leadership? Because it's not exactly how we felt, feel and felt and experience leadership coming up through the ranks and coming up through the world is it's not straightforward. It's very convoluted. It's rooted in human nature. It's not there, you know, if there was a dictionary I could have looked to that, you know, when somebody brought me yeah. a situation, I could have been like, oh, let's go to page seven of the, let's go uh, to page seven of, there is a, hold on a second. I know it's uh, I was going to say there is, there is um, a handbook of leadership, bass handbook of leadership. This is like for me, the Bible of, of leadership. And this is theory, research applications, all kinds Which of one's stuff. The spiral bound one. That was, that was one of your go-tos for a long time. That was a systems thinking book. Yeah. That was probably more, a lot of management type stuff, uh, process, systems and processes. Uh, very managerial focused, I think. I think there's some tie-ins to leadership, but uh, I definitely very system process heavy on fixing processes and not people. Which people, again, back to that. like People are slaves to the processes at the end of the day. So Yeah, but leadership for you is more so I don't think people I mean process I agree but it, it is about people and then going back to what I was saying about that that is it a metaphor or analogy or, or just basically your struggle in learning how to process philosophy is very in in my opinion step by step my struggle with learning how to become a leader or or if I ever was or you know I and I also think in a way you don't know until it's over and then you may never know um, yeah. your effectiveness or ineffectiveness in those positions. Well, I think, I think for me, back to philosophy, philosophy is a way, f- what you have to do, the more, the deeper you get into the world of philosophy, you have ideas, not just about, you know, not just ideas about philosophy, but you have ideas about general, you have beliefs, you know, we have belief systems that we lead by or whatever. We have ideas that we live, but we, we lead by and we live by, but the deeper you get into philosophy, you have this basic idea, but philosophy says, okay, it's very basic. Let's distill that even more, right? Let's get to the, the really heart of this idea or this belief you have. Why do you have that belief, right? And it's being able to explain it. And if you can't explain it very well, well, get to a point where you can explain this, why you believe this, why you believe this certain way, maybe why you lead a certain way, and being able to get to a point where, okay, I have drilled this down and I can explain this to somebody, this is why I do X, Y, or Z, because I've thought about this. I've thought about this process over and over again, and I've refined it. And philosophy has taught me how to think critically about it. And if there's some ideas that I have or some beliefs that I have that I have to have an open mind that they may be wrong, right? So I have to refine refine these beliefs. And I don't know, philosophy just, I can't say enough about philosophy, what it's done for me. I enjoy it. I love it. I love reading philosophy still. To this day, I just read I read a academic paper last night, watching football game Monday night football. I was reading an academic paper on epistemic feedback loops that someone posted on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh, I'll pull up this." I got through like seven. There's like thirty two pages, but I'm on page seven. Which there is no lie there. I watch this day in and day out. Um, you know, it, it fascinates me. It's not just the physical things. It's not just this. Your, you know, your 
your energy and your ability to seek out new things and learn new things. Um, if envy can be seen as a positive, can envy be seen as a positive trait? I mean, as long as it's healthy, I guess. I mean, if it's... I mean, I envy that about you, but that sounds like negative. Yeah, I mean, that's... I don't know. I don't know. I, I envy that, though. You know, it's it's not your ability to, to run very fast and, you know, all this other stuff. It is it is just that energy that you carry with you that allows you to, to expand your mind all the time. I think I, I find it fascinating that, you know, at a time in your life where traditionally, and I think we see it around us, people's minds tend to close and they get more absolute about things based on their experiences um, you're still willing to go out and try new things and learn new things and then come back and reflect on those and then incorporate them into your your you know self-concept and your concept of the world self-concept i like that yeah, yeah. is that self-concept was actually a kind of a broader subject self-doubt was one part of that whole our self-concept right self-doubt is kind of one part of that or not so much. I talked about self-competence, right? I talked about that on the self-doubt episode. And then you have this like self-liking, right? Do I think I'm a good person? Do I think I'm a bad person? Which is different than am I technically competent or am I not, right? So, oh, but yes. Yeah, that could be a whole other episode. But our self-concept is, I mean, it's a pretty heavy, Huge. that's it's a pretty massive. heavy subject. But I, it's, it's not just a heavy subject and it's not just a heavy thing. It's the ability to change and adapt your self-conscious, self-concept as you grow an experience, you know, and, and sometimes that's super painful. I know I have personally gone through very painful moments where my self-concept has changed and it may not have been in, in necessarily in the direction I wanted to go, but that's just where I ended up at the end of it. Um, so yeah, maybe, uh, maybe we'll see an episode on that sometime between 100 and 200. Yeah. I mean, I think we can have, I think we play a role in shaping our self-concept and I think the environment shapes our self-concept. I think how we react to the environment most importantly, right? Yes. Nice. Well, um, I want to thank everybody for letting me take over. Thank you for letting me. Participate. You did great. Did I? That's a really good question. Yeah. I felt like there was some technical things that I wasn't very good at. I I'll am still burning it. up, um, which yeah. is probably good because it makes me. I think one of the uh, kind of the, the spirit of leadosophy is inquiry, mm -hmm. asking questions, because the root of all knowledge is begins with the question. So. And with that, I'm not out of questions. I am going to ask you to pause for two seconds because I forgot uh, my questions. Uh, when he interviewed his son, Michael, he did a 10 question. Uh, what was it about Heidelberg, about the college he went to? He did a little rapid fire 10 questions on Michael. And so in honor of Michael and uh, hopefully Carson will be back on one day and we'll do it with him as well. I wanted to give you a little 10 questions that you had to do. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was I talking to Mike. There. there you go. She's still a rookie. I'm still rookie a rookie. Podcaster. But uh, he's going to have to put it on pause, let the music play, and we'll be right back to finish up this 100th episode. Of... Oh, we don't need to pause it. We can just, technology, we can cut the... Okay. We can just so, cut it. All right, so can I just do a timeout? Timeout. You're leaning forward. All right, welcome back to Leadosophy. That was me. I'm the host. Okay, go ahead. Hostess. We're back from the timeout. We're back from the timeout. All right. Magically, just this new episode, new part just showed up. Apparently, the power of editing. See, I didn't say I was a good podcaster. I just said that I'm learning. All right. So we're back. 
100th episode, Leadosophy. We're going to finish it off uh, with a little 10-question round. I lost my questions that I made that were brilliant, so you're just going to have to suffer through the ones that I just sort of kind of remembered. Again, this was a... Uh, he, he kind of did this to his son, Michael. Um, it's not going to be about any one particular thing, but the whole point is for it to be fast, kind of fast. Okay. All right. And then I'm going to try to do some sound effects too, to, you know, broaden my podcast. I don't experience. have them on here. So. You don't? No. How do you put them on? I, we lost that a long time ago. It's there. That's the one I want. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. You ready? Yep. What's your favorite color? Blue. Favorite team? Cincinnati Bengals. Football, American football. The all-time favorite player of any sport? Jerry Rice. That I got you to meet? Did you meet him once? Yes. Was it, you met him in San Francisco, right? Jerry Rice, yeah. Yeah? You live up to the hype? Yeah, it's nice. Nice. All right, favorite place you've lived? Fort Lauderdale. Oh, no. Where's the owl? That's supposed to be for FAU. I messed that up. All right. Favorite place you vacationed? Favorite place I vacationed? Probably Ireland. Ireland? Or Iceland. I like both of those places. were pretty awesome. Yeah. If I had to say, I, I would... You and not necessarily place, but favorite vacation moment in our lives had to have been you playing. What's that game that you played with Michael and Carson in Key West? Tetherball. Oh my gosh, Tetherball. Again, competitive, small children, Tetherball. I won. I dominated. He shanked one off Carson's head, ripped Carson's head that day. But uh, it was hilarious. Everybody had a good time. I always said, you know, bowling, right? I never... Put, allowed my kids to bowl with bumpers? No. Never allows kids to bowl with bumpers. Because there's no bumpers in the game of life? <laughs> that might be too insightful. But proves my point about the, the right. good old-fashioned competitiveness. All right. Um, favorite movie? Glory. Oh, really? Glory? I mean, all-time favorite, probably. One of my... Yes. Oh, so the creepy little girl voice. I thought you were going to bring up a horror film. So I was all prepped to do the creepy girl voice. House of a Thousand Corpses is my favorite horror movie of all time. Yeah. Um, so really, Glory. Glory is my, yeah, I've seen it probably 200 times. Nice. I'm not, I don't think that's Matthew Broderick's best film. I mean, it's, he did a pretty good job. He did a great job. I mean, I think the cast young, is. I mean, the cast is great. I'm just saying like, I guess it was. It he was, was young. I would like, I don't know how old he was, had to be in his 20s when he made that. Yeah. But you also, to be fair, have never actually seen Ferris Bueller either. Not the whole thing, no. So you can't be an accurate judge of the true talent that is Matthew Broderick. So moving on. We'll, is this we'll a trivia on. thing or just why are you asking, trying to figure out, learn about more about me or what? Yeah, I think it's important oh, okay. to know more about you. Yeah. But it's also a little bit of trivia, you know, put you on the spot. Yeah. Um, favorite band? Kill Switch Engage. It's a metal band. Kill Switch Engage. All right. What is a hobby you want to learn that you don't know how to do? I don't think there's really a hobby out there that I want to learn that I've never done before, but there's a hobby that I really would want to refine and get better at, and that's playing the Native American flute. All right. I love playing the Native American flute. It's very, uh, it really keeps me in the moment, like kind of geek out on mindfulness. 
playing the Native American flute, number one, I love the way it sounds. Mm-hmm. The one I have, I love the way it sounds. Number two, I love the way it makes me feel mentally, psychologically. And I like, I've never thought of myself as a creative person. Being creative for me was work. It's really something I always try to work at. And it's always clunky and not pretty and uh, just always felt like it's just choppy. Uh, and the Native American flute I've gotten, I'm not good at. I mean, I am I can hold a tune a little bit with the Native American flute, but I would love to one day get really good at the Native American flute. I don't think I know what being good, you know, normally when somebody says they want to get good at something, you can like reference it like they want to be good wood carver. Well, you can look at a wood carving and you can see it or they want to play the guitar well. You can just listen to any famous guitar player and kind of see that level. I don't know. You know, if we have a, I don't personally know what that measure of a good Native American flute, flute player would be. I think we'd have to find, you know, who's that top. Have you looked at who's the top person? Is there like a person? I have a lot of Native American flute on my music. Yes, that list. is true. I know that. So, I mean, I know what like. What it's supposed to sound what like. What it's supposed to sound like. And yes, right. I don't sound like that. But I would love to like, I'm not saying I'm ever going to be like this brilliant Native American flutist, but. I love the sound that it makes. I love the way it makes me feel. And I would love to one day pour more energy into becoming a very good Native American flutist. There you go. And I love the different types of flutes that are out there. There's all kinds of different octaves and note note flutes. And And I will say our dogs do kind of like zone out a little bit while you're playing it. So there might be something to do with that. It's a very, uh, I mean, it's almost like a haunting sound. Maybe that's why you're so drawn to it. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Something about it. Yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite kind of, not mindless, that sounds insulting, but what's the thing that you're just like, man, I'm not getting any more, like I'm not, this isn't making me more intelligent, but like favorite thing you like to do that just is your, because you read all the time, you do all these like intensely intellectual things that I see you do, but what's your one like, I mean, you even turn running into a, you know, the thought experiment with a, you know, if you're ultra marathoning. What's that? What's that? What do you mean? So, I mean, to run ultras, you have to be able to sustain yourself over a long period of time. So it's not just like going out and running and like, so even that becomes some sort of discipline and thought experiment and you never wear headphones, never wears headphones when he runs. Um, Which really blew the mind of my oldest son. Yes. Yeah. Um, So what's though your mindless thing that you, you get down with that you're like, man, well, I mean, I sat on the couch for about nine hours yesterday and watched football, so. Okay, that counts. Yeah, I, I mean, was, that's, yeah. I, mean, I didn't get any smarter watching football <laughs> yesterday, so. I mean, you, maybe, but that, so that's your thing. Other than the fact when I was watching the Monday Night Football game and I was reading an academic article. That's what the I'm game saying, was, you somehow turned football into Yeah, but it's just because the game wasn't exciting, like. Oh, okay, all right. All right, all right. That's no knock for against Seattle Seahawks fans, but all right, was an uh, inspiring game. What's my favorite color? Your favorite color is green. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do you have like a? All right, there you go. There you go. And lastly, and so so not deeply, what's your favorite food? Burritos. <laughs> Anything you can put in a burrito. Anything you can put in a burrito. This man puts anything in a burrito. I'll put soup in a burrito. You did put, you actually have put soup in a burrito. Yeah, I just had to thicken it up somehow. I don't know how I did it, but. I, he does put soup in a burrito. I think with cheese. I think that was the magic Probably. thing, but. Well, again. I like refined carbs. They're so good. Yeah. 
They're so good. And sugar and candy. Well, I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you. Thanks. On this I appreciate episode. you too. I appreciate what you do, Leadosophy. I'm like I said, I'm your number one fan. And uh, thanks for letting me hang out and record this and be a part of it one more time. Um, I definitely feel a little bit better than I did the first time I was on this. I was in a weird spot. I was actually trying to be a leader at the time. Now I'm just trying to be me a little bit. Um, so thanks. Thanks for you get more time off now than you did back then. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a bit. Not 365, 24, seven, 365. So it's, it's been a little bit liberating, hard to adjust, but. So we're going to end this with one last trivia question for you. This was not in the script. What's the ending? What do I say at the end of every podcast? I don't know. I'm usually running. Oh, okay. So we can question really whether or not you listen to Leadosophy. I do listen to Leadosophy, but I don't listen to the outro. Okay. No, what I say before the outro music hits. Remember, Leadosophy is about using the... Tools of philosophical thought. To... Tools of philosophical thought to... Deepen. Deepen our understanding of... Leadership. And of life. And of life. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. Catch you next time. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.